0: So we are continuing in our series called Believe. We are on the second to last week of our Think side, which is where we're talking about ten weeks of what Jesus thought and what how how Jesus kind of some of the key beliefs of what Jesus had. Because what we think becomes what we do, and what we do becomes who we are. And so it's almost like we're taking a walk through systematic theology of what it means that Christians. What's it mean to be a Christian? And if there's something that we miss or something that's not in there, it's usually because that's not something that we hold really tight to. It just might be something that might be a side belief. It might be something you might be very passionate about, but it might not be something that's absolutely necessary as a follower of Jesus to understand. We did the first five weeks of Believe talking about some vertical relationships we have, like uh, some vertical beliefs. Vertical meaning they have to do with us and God mostly. We talk about what it means to have one true God. Which means idols, by definition, are not gods. They're not real. Why do you think God doesn't like us to worship idols? Because we're wasting worship. They're not real. And then we talked about how this huge, omniscient God is also a personal God who loves us and wants a relationship with us. And then we talked about how he gave us the opportunity through Jesus Christ to have salvation in his name. Which means there's no debt between us and God. Which led us into the Bible, what the Bible was for, why, why are we reading a book from 2,000 years ago today? Well, we believe it's because God's Word is alive. It comes to life when we study it. It is, it is timeless, which is why we still study it. We talked about what it means to have an identity in Christ, meaning before Jesus, that's not who you are anymore. We don't say, I am what I feel like. We get to go, well, who does Jesus say I am? And that's my new identity. And identity defines who we are. And then after that, we took the last four weeks, we've been looking at things that aren't as much vertical, though they still have to do with our relationship with God. But now we're looking at beliefs that are more horizontal in nature, which means they deal with our relationship with one another. We talked about why God gave us the church. And the church, we were designed to be with one another. We weren't designed to do this alone. We were designed to have gifts that serve one another. None of us are supposed to be perfect or have it all going on. We all have strengths and we all have weaknesses that we bring. And together, when we work together, we are the picture of Jesus. And then we talked about humanity and and, and taking a a step back in a broken world with lots and lots of evil and hate and say, how could God love humanity? Well, the good news is we still don't know how. We just know he does. (laughs) And we're going to agree with him in it. God loves people. He desires all people to come to a knowledge of him. He loves humanity. We don't know why. He designed, he he created, and he loves humanity. We need to start seeing other people the way God sees them, which is, I love that person. And then we talked about how through that, we were called to have compassion on humanity, which means we don't ignore the hurts of people around us. We embrace those hurts. We hurt with them. That God made us the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in the world. And when somebody's praying for God to show up, a lot of times that prayer is answered in you being near them because God moves through his church in the lives of other people. But that takes us paying attention to the needs around us. And then today, we're talking about stewardship. So we're going to go ahead and pass the offering now. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Chad was looking at me like, no, no way. (laughs) You know, when most people think about stewardship, the first thing that pops into their head is, the church needs my money now. Usually stewardship is the financial side of things. And when I was reading this, similar to the compassion side, um, I thought, you know, why is stewardship one of the beliefs we have? Wouldn't stewardship be more of an action? Like we're just kind of faithful and giving? And I love the chapter in the Believe book this week because it, it, it paints such a big picture of stewardship. The Stewardship is not, not just about money. Stewardship is about so much more. And ultimately what the book kind of leads us to, spoiler alert, stewardship is, is us recognizing that everything we have and everything we are first belongs to God. It's not just about money. It's, money's part of it because that's one of the things God gives us. But everything in our life belongs to God. So don't move from this point forward. Don't block me out because I brought up money. Don't do it. Stay with me. Stay with me. We're going to talk about so much more than money today. Um, the verse today is Psalms 24, verse 1 through 2, where it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he found it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you. Thank you for this, this truth that we're going to discover today. I pray no one would be distracted or feel guilty because we brought up personal finances, but if there's an area in our lives, even if it is money, that you're trying to get our attention, I pray you get our attention. Lord, our lives are yours. Not just a little bit, not just part of it, but they're yours. And oftentimes, this, this belief of what it means to be a steward is what brings to the surface the areas that we still don't want to give over to you. Lord, our, our finances are yours, our time is yours, our energy is yours, our family Our church, our possessions, they're all yours. So Lord, I pray you would rock us with this belief today. And I pray everyone here would would walk away with a little challenge from your word and and just be ready to to walk more and think more like Jesus. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, spoiler alert. Stewardship isn't just about money. In fact... The, we're going to read a big, long passage. This is going to be like a Bible study today because we're going to read a big passage out of the Bible because we really need to see it in context for how it's written. But stewardship is this word that comes that means management. And ultimately, to paint a picture for you, and then we'll kind of jump into it, when you give your life to Jesus, which is what we want people to do, when we say, I want you to be Lord over my life, what you're doing is you are actually, wait for it, wait for it, Giving your life to Jesus. Yeah, we hear that a lot. But it's not until we talk about stewardship that we really understand, even just a part of what that means. The best example I've seen for stewardship is, is I have a friend in Heber, who he works for a company that is, is exploding right now. And they, they're, they're, he's, he's traveling the world all the time because they're acquiring little companies all over the world. What they do is, he has a company that's functioning very well. And so they'll go to a smaller company and they'll say, hey, you do what we do and you're doing it really well. So what we're going to offer is we're going to offer to buy you out, keep all of your employees on, but we're going to pay off all your debt and you're now going to be helping us with our vision. And so what happens is for a smaller business, if you are a smaller business, unless your like goal is to be a small business, which there's nothing wrong with that, you're in America, do what you want, but most people when they start a business, they want to... They want to get big. They want to make an impact. They want to affect the world. Now, now, think of this. When you give your life to Jesus, in a lot of ways, you're deeding. You're writing the deed of ownership to your life, and you're handing it to God. And you're saying, God, this is now yours. And what God says in return, he says, when you do that, I'm going to pay off all of your debt. You have no more debt. We talked about salvation a few weeks ago. You have no more debt with me. It's paid. But but then it's not over. He doesn't say, now grab a book, heaven's going to be in a little while. He says, now I'm going to make you a manager over that life. I want you, I'm going to resource you more than you could ever understand. I'm going to give you more resources than you've ever seen. And I want you to be the manager of what now belongs to me. You ever looked at salvation that way? In a way, God bought us out. He redeemed and bought us back. And, and you know what? The debt was huge. So when he came with that offer, I love how God says that he wants to bring everybody to a place where they want to receive that. It's when we recognize that the debt's pretty big, and I'm not going to be able to pay it off. And I've been owning my company for a while, and it's not working very well. And so when Jesus comes with this offer, and he says, guess what? I'm going to buy you out. But you've got you to sign it all over to me. But I'm not done with that. Then I want you to manage all the resources I'm about to give you. That's a pretty cool way to look at salvation, isn't it? That's a pretty cool way to say God knows what I'm capable of and what I'm not capable of. You know, there's a book called uh, um, uh, I Am Not But I Know I Am by a man named Louis Giglio, where he talks about how God is God, I am not God. I get to trust in God for being God, and I don't have to hold all the weight of the world because I'm not God. And in this book, he has this phrase where he says that the human frame was not designed to carry the weight of the world. And, you know, the reason that this stewardship idea is such a big deal is because we're not designed to carry the weight as owners. We weren't designed to stress and worry over the future. We weren't designed to have full control. We were designed to serve the owner because we weren't designed to carry that kind of weight. And we're going to read a passage um, out of Luke. Uh, Actually, you can start turning there if you want, Luke chapter 12. Um, Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. But as you're turning there, we weren't designed to carry that kind of weight. You know, God is the owner. God's the one who is able to carry the weight of the world on his shoulders, and we're not. And when we get this belief out of order... When we try and become the owner, when we try and become independent and controlled, what happens when we do that is we start carrying the weight of the world and it starts breaking us. When we try and become the owner and we try and say that I own my time, I own all of my resources, I own all of my intellect, we get get the way that we are designed out of order and it will start to break us. You know, Jesus, um, through all four Gospels, not John, three of the Gospels, Jesus picks up a child in front of his disciples, and he tells them that they need to have faith like a child. And in the context of each one of those passages, he said, look, this child trusts me recklessly. He's not worried about what he's going to eat. He's not worried about what he's going to drink or the food. He's not worried about bills. He just trusts me. And Jesus tells us that we need to have faith like a child because a child by default says, no, I can play because mom and dad got this. And that's the way he says that we need to come to God is remember that the father, I love that we played good, good father today. Our good father is going to take care of that stuff. Okay, we need to read. Okay, ready? Starting in verse 13. Like I said, this is a Bible study. I hope you're ready. Luke 12, starting in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, my brother, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Who appointed me judge or arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He, t- he thought to himself, What shall I do? I do not have place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I can tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you little faith? And do not set your heart on what you eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after these things. And your father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no mock destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed ready for service. And keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting on their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose masters find them watching when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself to serve. He will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master has taken a long time coming. And then he begins to beat the men servants and the maid servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers." That servant who, know, know, who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what is the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does not and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. For whom from whomever from ev- from everyone who has been given much much will be demanded, and from the one who has been entrusted with much much more will be asked. See, we had to look at this passage in context. (coughs) Because Jesus doesn't just talk about financial stewardship in this passage. He talks about so much more. Look at the passage with the rich fool at the beginning. The rich fool thought that his money was his, and his time was his. And what he says in this parable, he says, You don't know when the end is coming, and your time is not yours. What's going to happen to all those riches you stored up for yourself? And the next passage... Jesus tells us not to worry about the things that the pagans run after. This is one of those situations where I'm like, man, I'm a pagan. Um, (laughs) Well, he says, don't worry about those things. Don't you know that I want to take care of you? Because we weren't made and designed to carry that kind of weight in our lives, were we? That's not for us to carry. That's for God to carry. All we can do is seek first the kingdom of God, and he will give all of the things that we need to us. And then he tells us the story about make sure that you're ready. Make sure that you're ready, which... The time is not yours. Time is, a, is, is another thing that God has given us stewardship over. And You might be fantastic with your money, but you might be robbing God with your time. Because you don't yet believe that the time belongs to God. And then in the last one, he talks about managers. And this is, he's showing us that when, when God puts us in charge of what's already his, and we really start to believe it, and it changes the reality of who we are. We're going to bear fruit for God. And not only that, God believes that he has resourced us enough that he thinks that he can come and say, what's what's left? You've been taking care of my servants, just like I asked. I gave you everything you needed to be successful in this. See, God believes in our ability to manage what he's given us. And this is a reality-shaking truth. It won't work any other way. Can I tell you that? I want you to say that with me. Say, it won't work. Ready? It won't work. It's not going to work. When we try and carry the weight of the world, it's going to break us. And this is, let this free you. Don't be burdened with guilt right now. Don't be saying to yourself, I don't tithe enough and I waste my time. I, I just, man, Mike's really beat me up today. Don't look at this passage like that. Look at this passage as an opportunity that God wants to redeem what he has given you. This is God saying, guess what? It's not working. And it's not working because you're taking ownership. You're never supposed to be owners of it. It's one of the most freeing parts of following Jesus. As he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will take your weight. Because my load is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, I was designed to carry that weight, not you. We got to get into the notes. Sorry. Okay. Your first blank in your notes. How much of my life is his? All of it. Excellent. All of it. It's all his. it's all his. Which means that part of following Jesus is coming to a place in, in a real reality-shaking way where we say, you know what? This is God's first. Everything I have is God's first. How do I honor God with this? Not part of it. All of it. Your, your next blank is my time belongs to him. My time belongs to God. See, it's not just about finances. God gave us a certain amount of time. You know, his disciples, he was very um, particular in how he used his time with his disciples because he knew that once they got to Jerusalem, they were going to kill him and he wasn't going to be able to do any more investment in their life. See, Jesus knew that time was short and our time is short. Our time is short. We don't have as much time as we think we do. And, And... we have the opportunity given to us by god to buy back the time that he's given us that means that we give god our best or give god my best colossians 3:24 says or 3:23 through 24 whatever you do work at it with all your heart working as for the lord not for men since you know that you did not that you will receive an inheritance from the lord as a reward It is the Lord Christ you are serving. See, when Paul wrote this, do everything as to the Lord, he was writing to slaves. He was writing to slaves. They had no reason to honor their masters. And Paul said, serve them as if you're serving God. Serve them. Do the best you can do with your time. My talent belongs to God. My talent belongs to God. Look at the passage of the managers or the stewards. That God has given us the ability to be a part of what he's doing. He has resourced us for his purposes, for his kingdom. And so that means that my talent is going to belong to God. Now, the word talent in Scripture can mean anything from... Talent was actually like a a, a way to purchase things back then. But it can can refer to a gift. It can can refer to finances. But we're going to look at it from the sense of God gave you a gift to give to other people. Whether that is finances... But more specifically, God gave you individually a gift. That means we use our talents to serve the body of Christ. We use our talents to serve the body of Christ. I brought with me one of the next step cards. Um, This is our spiritual development tool for Mountain View Fellowship. But there's one particular section that I'm really, really excited about and I love. And that's the section where we get to discover... And and ask some good questions to find out how God uniquely designed you. Because he didn't make us all the same. He didn't make us all the same. But I believe, because it says it in Scripture, and Scripture comes alive. Alive. I believe that God gave every single person in his church a way to give towards the body, towards the work. You know, the Bible talks about different gifts you can have, spiritual gifts, apostleship, um, service, Mercy, teaching, hospitality, faith, healing, shepherding. There's all sorts of gifts that the Bible says that when you become part of my church, when you deed over your life to me, I'm going to give you a gift. But here's the cool thing about the gift is the gift isn't God giving you a gift. Like, thanks God, and then we open it, enjoy it. It's a gift that God gave you that you give to the church. You can't open it's just like a fruit doesn't eat a tree doesn't eat its own fruit. A tree doesn't pick apples and and and, and eat them. That fruit is for somebody else. And when when part of this next steps process is helping us discover what talents God gave us and then plug us into a place in the body where we could actually be living out what God uniquely designed us to do. And I don't know about you, but if 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 I knew that God had uniquely given me specific talents towards the body, I'm going to want to jump into those because I know I've got God on my side. And the body is going to function when we all do our part. It's not not just about throwing you in where we have holes. Oh, you're a human being and you have a pulse. Well, we'll put you here. Oh, we'll just throw you here because nobody wants to do it. Part of this next steps process is discovering who God made you and what do we got to do to get you in there. Put you in a position where you're serving how God designed you. And that's what a talent is. We use our talents to show compassion to the world. We use our talents to show compassion to the world. Um, This kind of hangs on last week that we are the hands and feet of Jesus. You know, last week, kind of the, the crux of what we were teaching was God gave us a way to measure our love for him. And it wasn't in our worship services and it wasn't in our tithing. The way that God measures our love for him is our love for people. He said, this is just an easy, if, you, if you're loving the least of these, if you're loving others, that's how I know that you love me. You want to love Jesus with your life? You love him by serving other people. And then your next blank, my treasure belongs to him. Not just my time, but my treasure. See, it does come, there is money here. You know, money is talked about one of ten verses in the New Testament directly deals with finances. You think Jesus knew that something would hang us up? Do you think he knew that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also? Do you think he knew what was often going to take that hold of our hearts? Luckily, in 2016, that's not a problem. (laughs) This is more for back then. Money is not an issue today. 16 of 38 parables have to do with money or possessions. You see, Jesus, when he was telling parables, he was trying to paint a picture for a lot of them because he knew that one of the things that was going to hang us up was going to be money. He knew that if there was something that was going to steal the heart of his people, it was going to be finances. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's not hard to understand. Be submissive. With everything. Next thing in your blank, be submissive with everything. You know, one of the hardest parts of money is letting go. I don't know about you, Kristen and I have never been good tithers. Um, finances reflect our heart constantly. We, we hold on tight. I remember when Cassidy was little, my daughter, when she was little, um, we got her a balloon at the store because I used to work at a grocery store. And uh, I remember it was probably the first time anybody actually handed her a balloon and, she, and she, she, you know, she held it and then it just slid out of her hands and it was one of those giant roofs, so it was gone. It was gone. So we went and got her another balloon because I'm a good parent. And this time she held it like this. It was white knuckle. You know what I mean? Like where you can look at her hand and there's no blood left in those fingers. Like she is clenching it because she's not going to let it happen again. And, and I feel like that's often how we are with, with our finances is, is we don't yet Believe that God has good, good, good intentions with our finances, so we white knuckle them. And the thing is, oftentimes God is trying to move through us in our finances because that's He's He's checking the treasure of our hearts. And we're like, "Yeah, God, take whatever you want." (laughs) No, take. Yeah, no, it's yours. You can get it. Yeah, you can get it. You're God. Just rip in there. And, and part of recognizing that our treasures is him is is ho- holding it with open hands knowing that God gives and God takes away and I have to talk a little bit um, there's a there's a gospel there's a doctrine out there today that's kind of popular um, there's many types of it there's I don't I don't call anybody demons or call anybody her, heretics but you know there's an idea that um, it, they call it the prosperity gospel there's this idea out there that if you, if you give to God financially, he'll give back to you more financially. And um, I, see, I see where that comes from in like the Old Testament when he told Abraham to leave and I'm going to bless you. But he told Abraham specifically, I'm going to bless you like this. Uh, but the truth is, often God doesn't, when we give him financially, he doesn't always give us back financially. Because God knows what's going to steal our hearts. God knows that if we're worshiping money and we serve him financially like a transaction... God's not going to give you back money. Why would he put the idol back in our hands? God knows what's in our hearts. God's not a cosmic vending machine. I put in my five coins of prayer, and I I pulled down the lever of my finances, and now God has to deliver. Um, God knows what's in our hearts, and he knows what's not going to work and what is going to work. And I've seen God bless people financially through the roof. I've seen it happen. But they didn't worship money. They, they, had, they were like this. And I've seen other people who gave to God, and they said, God, but God didn't give back, so I can't trust him anymore. And I, well, that's because you still worship money. Why would he give you back the thing that's going to destroy you? Because he's a good father. You want bread. Why would he give you a snake? You get what I'm saying? And so I don't want you to think that when we talk about finances and, and, and we get, we're submissive that when you give God $100, he's promising to give you back $100,000. That's not, that's not true. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to follow him. He doesn't want you to follow more money. Does that make sense? Moving on. <clears throat> Be trusting with everything. You know, the reason that Kristen and I have always struggled with finances is because we, it's a trust issue. We white-knuckle our money. We pride ourselves on our money. And, and I have a trust issue with knowing that, that remembering that this is God's. And I'm sure that many other people in this room are the same. Where I forget that this is God's money first. And I have a hard time trusting him. If I open up, what happens if he takes away my car? What happens if he takes away my, you fill in the blank? I have a hard time trusting him with my finances. And I would, I would encourage you, if, if it's a financial thing, take a step to trust God in a new way. What I'm not saying is we're going to double whatever your investment is. Okay, so we're all on the same page. Let God reveal the motives of your heart. More than money, God wants you to trust him. And money is usually the thing that goes, oh, I'll trust you with everything. but That one's mine. That one's mine. I can't trust you with that one. I would encourage you to start trusting God with your money financially and see what he does. He might not make you rich. I hope he doesn't make you rich. I hope he makes you rich in faith and and trusting in him. Be generous with everything. Uh, one of my favorite quotes. It's one. Of, it's a church in North Carolina. It's one of their kind of battle statements when it comes to giving. But their their quote is, "You can never outgive God." I love that. You can never outgive God when it comes to generosity. He's always going to give more than you. Just so you know. And and so we don't have to be scared to have our hands open like this towards the needs of those around us. 2 Corinthians chapter nine says. Whoever whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in in his or her heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, So some people, when it comes to giving, some churches have a tithe rule where they say, we encourage people to tithe. Tithe literally means 10%. Um, Mountain View, we don't really have that. We want people to give generously out of the abundance of cheerfully we don't want you to give like because you have to we don't want you to give because if you give then we you we owe you that's not good we want you to give generously when you're going to give your tithes in fact, if you look at the Old Testament ten percent is only one part of it Jews gave twenty five percent of their income to the to the temple that's a level of faith I haven't hit yet but we're supposed to give generously because it's it's how we become cheerful givers. So if you hear us talk about giving or you hear us talking about tithe, just know we don't have a rule. We'll never knock on your door and say, it's been 9.5% the last couple of months. (laughs) It's not going to happen because we want you to give because you're trusting in Jesus. We never want you to give because you feel like you have to. God will take care of us. We want you to give because you trust in Jesus and this is your church. We give to the body. Um, That's where part of our tithe goes to what's going on in here. Part of our tithe goes to making sure that we can give to the body. Um, If you read the book of Acts, um, there's Paul the Apostle on his three missionary journeys often carried with him a pouch of money. And that pouch of money was because a church that was doing well gave it to Paul because Paul was going to visit a church that was being persecuted so bad that they couldn't, they were literally starving to death. And so the churches, even from distances, they were he was carrying a pouch of money to take to those who needed it. Because sometimes our affluence, God gives us the affluence so that we can serve the needs of those in this room, serve the needs of the body first. We also give out of compassion. This is where we give to the least of these. Um, I don't want to soapbox it too much, but I'm, I'm from the firm belief over the last couple years that God placed me in America at this time with a responsibility. And I believe that it wasn't an accident that, I, that me and, and us as a church were placed here. And that there's a church not far in another country or in the States, if that's where your heart is. that is not. And, and I believe that I've been called personally, Kristen and I, we believe we've been called and it's hard. But we believe we've been called to live less than what we make. Because we want to give towards those who need it. Because we were given an opportunity. Now, that is hard in campus, just so you know. <clears throat> Man, Park City is just too close, and it is really expensive up here. But you get where I'm going. I believe that the church has a responsibility in America. Most, most Christians give, or, or give 3% and live personally, their own family lives off of 90, 97% of what they make. And I think it would be great to see the church start to bring that number down. And start to say that we can say no to certain things so we can give to people who need it. You know, uh, Mountain View, we personally support a church in Honduras. And we have chosen them. And we're taking steps. We've already made five trips down there. And we're taking steps to, to support a church. Because we believe that God placed us here, introduced us to them. We love them. They have the same vision as us, which is break the cycle of poverty and expand the kingdom of God. And so we want to give from our affluence to them which means a lot of stuff that happens in the body within the church we say no to because that money could be going to Honduras, and we want to make sure that we're sending a percentage to them. Right now we're working on what that looks like. We've been sending it down in lump sums, big, big lump sums. But it means that sometimes we're going to say, no, we're not going to build a water slide out back today. Maybe next year we'll revisit that idea because we want to take care of them because God placed us here. God placed us here, and we want to give out of compassion as we close, um, I just want to share with you one more one verse that we already read. I want to read it again. When it comes to stewardship, it's really easy to miss Jesus' message here and be bored down with guilt and shame. Can I tell you the truth? None of us are perfect managers and stewards. None of us. If you are, there's a seat up here. You just sit. We'll just stare at you because you're awesome. None of us are are. Jesus talked about money so much because he knew that until the end of humanity and the end of sin, we were going to struggle with this one. We were going to struggle with owning our time, owning our energy. We're going to struggle with loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We were going to struggle with this one. And he knew it. Don't walk out of here ashamed that you haven't done enough. But definitely let God get your attention. The deal is it won't work when we get this one out of order. We won't find that supernatural peace that Jesus promises us if we are trying to carry the weight of the world. If you haven't deeded over your life yet, you need to deed your life over to Jesus. It is. Let me emphasize this. Jesus is the best investment of your life. He's the best investment of your time. He is the absolute best investment of your energy and your finances. He is the best investment you could ever, ever make. And honestly, it won't work any other way. We're going to always struggle if we continue to play owner when we're supposed to be managing what was God's. You're carrying a weight that the CEO has covered. The, The assembly line doesn't need to struggle with this one. Do you know what I'm saying? Luke 12, Jesus said to his disciples, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear. And then later down in that passage, seek first his kingdom and all of these things will be added to you. It's almost as if Jesus said, if you make it your top priority to be involved in what God is doing and have his goodness increasingly filling your life, everything else that you want will be taken care of. So it says in Psalms that seek him first and he will give you the desires of your heart. He knows what you want and he has them. But it's not going to work if we get this one out of order. It just won't work. If you haven't deeded your life over to Jesus yet, don't leave here without doing it. If there's a time or an energy or if there's something financially you've been pursuing where you've been owner, Maybe it's time you deed that back over to Jesus and say, okay, this is supposed to be yours from the beginning. Isn't it awesome to serve a God who knows us so well to not entrust us with things that we can't handle? Who gives us the opportunity to be a part of what he's doing but not hold the responsibility of the outcome? A God who says, you can take steps of faith, you can utilize my resources, and you can move boldly into the future But you don't have to worry about what comes to it, because I get to worry about that. We serve a pretty big God. Let's pray.